has to talk about, I think, I believe this is the concluding lesson in our series on the Old Testament stories. And we also tied a prophet in with it as well. So what I'm going to be talking about this morning is the story of Jonah. Just a little bit of backstory before we get into the actual story. Jonah was born in 2 Kings chapter 14 as a prophet of the Lord. The book of Jonah deals with one of his only prophecies in the, in the Bible. And what is odd about Jonah is he did not prophesy to God's people. You, most, of the, most of the time you would have a prophet that would prophesy to the king of Judah or the king of Israel. That wasn't what Jonah did. Jonah went unto the, unto the enemies of Israel and Judah, and that's who he prophesied to. This, in the book of Jonah is the last time we learn anything new about the prophet Jonah. He's mentioned in the New Testament, but only about this story. So this is one of the only times that we learn something new about Jonah. Jonah is a book that atheists use to say the Bible can't be true. Because we'll get into the part about him living in a great fish for three days. That's just not possible. But they fail to realize that with God all things are possible. So today we're going to look at this story. And we're going to find some things that we can take from it, and I hope that you can take from it and apply to your life. First of all, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, God comes to Jonah. And he says, Jonah, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Nineveh, the great city. And I want you to preach. I'm fixing to knock them down. I'm fixing to overthrow them. I'm fixing to kill everything that's there. Well, Jonah decides instead that he'd and he goes down here to Joppa. And he decides he's going to come over to Tarshish and flee from the word of the Lord and get out of his sight. Now where he was from here to Nineveh was roughly about 200 miles and it was about another 200 miles to Joppa. And then to Tarshish it was 2,000. So historians are saying he's probably trying to run about 2,500 to 3,000 miles away from God. That's how far he wants to get away from this. So what he does is he buys passage on his ship. Because Joppa was a port city, so he buys passage on his ship to get him to Tarshish. And the route they took is here through the Mediterranean Sea. So they're out there on the sea. And they're getting into their journey a little bit. And then the storm comes. A bad storm. It causes these men that sailed for a living to fear and start praying to their gods. They were scared. It was a bad storm. And while they're all out there praying for their lives, trying to figure out how they're going to get through the storm, you go down to, they go down to the lower boat looking for Jonah, and they find him asleep. Now, I don't know, but I can't sleep on a boat. We went on a cruise... And it was kind of hard for me to sleep just with the rocky motion of the gentle ocean. I can't imagine sleeping through a storm like these guys were going through. Where experienced sailors were praying to their gods because they had no other way to get, to get through that storm. But as, the, as it comes, they find out that Jonah is the cause of the storm. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. 
You go, why did you do this? Why did you do this to us? Why are you running from the presence of the Lord and using us to do it? We're all going to die now. Then they said unto him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. So not only was it a bad storm, it was getting worse. They go, What are we supposed to do to you that we can stop this storm? And Jonah said, The only thing that came to mind, you got to get me off the boat. Get me off the boat and the sea will be calm. Well, but the men decided, No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to kill you. We're going to try to roll through this thing and get through the storm. But they couldn't do it. So finally they did the only thing they could and they threw Jonah into the sea where God had prepared a great fish to swallow him. And the storm stopped. Now while in the belly of this great fish, you know most of the time people call it a well, we really don't know that, but that's a pretty big fish though. But it was called the great fish in the Bible. And while he was in there, he prayed for three days. Chapter 3 of Jonah is his prayer. I'm not going to read all of that. Maybe some guys this afternoon might have an application about that. But that's what he did. He prayed to God that entire time. And when he prayed to God, the fish finally sped him out on dry land. After three days. Well then, the Lord comes to him a second time saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it. A message I tell you. And Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. This time he decided he was going to do what God wanted him to do. Now Nineveh was a great city. It was exceedingly great. It was a big city. It was one of the biggest cities of the day. It was the capital of Assyria. And if you know anything about your history, Assyrians and the people of God did not get along very well. There were many wars fought. There were many battles fought, and they did not get along. So God's telling him to go, go preach to these people that are your enemies. And he gets up and does it. And it was a three-day journey. And when Jonah began to enter the city, he preached to him and says, In 40 days, God's going to overthrow Nineveh. In 40 days, God's going to overthrow Nineveh. He's walking through the city saying this. In 40 days, God's going to overthrow Nineveh. If we had somebody walking through the United States going, in 40 days, somebody's going to over, God's going to overthrow the United States. What would your first thing you would think would be? Boy, he must be off his meds. That's the first thing we would think. He's not taking his meds like he's supposed to be taking. Well, Nineveh had a very different reaction. They repented. The king made an order that no person or beast shall eat or drink anything. And everything will be covered with sackcloth. Every person and every beast. They were repenting. That was a part of their repentance. They fasted. And they covered themselves with sackcloth. And God spared the city. And most of the time, this is where the storybook stops. This is most of the time where people go, okay, that's the end of the story. Jonah didn't do what God wanted him to do at the beginning, and then he did it, and the people repented, and that's the end of the story. But that's not what happened. 
Jonah gets angry at God. So Jonah goes out into the outside of Nineveh, and he builds him a shelter. And he gets mad at God. He said, see, God, I told you when I was in my own country. You would spare them. You're merciful. I told you you wouldn't destroy them. He goes, it's better for me to live, to die than to live. There's not a whole lot of things that can come up in my life where it says better for me to be dead than alive. I can't think of a whole lot. But the fact that God wouldn't destroy this city made Jonah say, it's better for me to live than to die than to live. Kill me now. So while he's in the shelter, God causes this plant to rise. If you see the picture here, it's a plant that gives him shade from the sun. Well, the next day, that night, God prepared a worm. And if you see, that plant withers. And God caused an east wind and the sun to violently beat upon Jonah. And Jonah was exceedingly sorrowful for the plant. He he liked that plant. That plant gave him shade. And God asked him, is it good for you to be so mad about a plant? which you had nothing to do with. You have not labored for it. You have not done anything to take care of it. It just came up one day and the next day it's gone. Is it good for you to do that? And Jonah says, it's good for me to do that even unto death. (laughs) It's good for me to be mad about that plant even until I die. Which is something he had nothing to do with. He didn't plan it. He didn't take care of it. He didn't water it. It just came up one day and was gone. And then God compared that to Nineveh, and he said, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? Now that's the last verse of the book of Jonah. We don't know what happens to Jonah after this. There's no record in the Bible what happens to Jonah after this. You know, the first thing I, I was talking to Mike when I was studying this, and I go, man, Jonah was kind of a bad guy. He wasn't a very good guy at all. And then the more I started studying it, I started realizing we act this way more than we realize. You know, the first thing is you're not going to be able to run from the presence of the Lord. You know, Jonah thought he could run. Jonah thought he could hide. He went 2,500 miles out of his way to hide. Wasn't far enough. You can find the darkest corner of this earth and you're not going to get away from the presence of God. You know, sometimes we think because it's dark and secluded, God ain't going to find out what we're doing. We don't have a, we don't have a light shining on us, so he's not going to find out. He's not going to be able to find me. I'm going to hide. You know, I saw a shirt a couple weeks ago, and said, I'm the hide-and-seek champion. That's what God is. You're not going to hide from Him. He'll find you no matter where you run, and no matter where you hide, you will be found. We cannot hide from God. You know, we might be able to hide it from men. We might be able to hide it from each other. There are some things you don't know about me. You know, I told a story last week, Mike had never heard about me. 
But I didn't advertise it. It's not something I was proud of. So I might be able to get it over on you people. You might be able to get it over on me. But you're not going to be able to get it over on God. God knows. Another thing we look at with Jonah is once he got in trouble, the first place he went was back to God. When he was cast into the deep of the ocean and the fish walled him, the first thing he did was pray to God. Is that the first thing we do when we get in trouble? It ought to be. It ought to be the first thing we do. Now, I don't believe you ought to be going to God only when you're in trouble. Don't get me wrong. I believe you need to be going to God on a daily basis. But when you're in trouble, that's where you need to go. Whenever you know you disobeyed God, that's where you need to go. We don't need to go necessarily to all these psychologists, family workers, family counselors. Sure, they might be able to help. But God is where we definitely need to go. His book has answers for every problem we will ever have. Now the problem is, sometimes His answers aren't the answers we're looking for. You know what I really believe? I don't believe Jonah was trying to hide from God. I believe Jonah didn't knew he couldn't hide from God. But you know what I thought he might think? If I go 2,500 miles out of my way, maybe God will just forget about it. Maybe God won't make me go do this if I just kind of run the other way. You ever felt like that? Maybe I can change God's mind about this. And I believe it is possible through prayer and certain things that we can do some things that God will bless us with. Another problem Jonah had? He couldn't see through the hate in his heart to realize him and the Assyrians were in the same boat. He had so much hate in his heart for those people, he didn't realize they were in the same boat. All of them were worthy of destruction. Jonah wasn't perfect. He was sinful. He tried to run from God. You know what scripture that reminds me of? Behold the mote in your brother's eye, but you don't behold the beam in your own eye. Are we that way sometimes that we get so wrapped up in what other people are doing that we don't realize we're all in the same boat here? We all need God's forgiveness. We all need salvation. We get so wrapped up in what they did was so evil. They deserve to be destroyed. You know, in our history books, Nazi Germany is probably made out to be the worst people in the world when you look in the history books. So what would you do if God told you back then to go talk to Nazi Germany and tell them, what you're doing is wrong, you're going to be overthrown by God in 40 days. To those people, you know what they're doing, they deserve it. Let God destroy them. They're killing millions upon millions of innocent people. Let God destroy them. 
Sometimes we have a hard time seeing that we are all in the same boat regardless of what sin we committed. Just because my sin ain't for the whole world to know about doesn't mean I don't deserve destruction for it. Don't be that way. That'd be like Mike. Let's say Mike decided he was going to go preach, let's say in Afghanistan to these Muslim people, that extremists that tend to like to blow us up because of our God. And they repent. And they turn to God. And then Mike going, I knew you wouldn't destroy him, God. I knew you wouldn't do it. And then Mike's sitting over there with his sin that God covered. He don't want them to cover other people's sins. Not to put too fine a definition on it, but to me, that's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black there. Yeah, I had sin, but it wasn't that bad. I didn't, I didn't approve of five two blades of the World Trade Center killing innocent people. That, that's horrible. We can't. God will forgive anybody. Another thing that is proved is God is a God of second chances. You know, whenever Jonah was thrown into the sea, he could have let him die there. But he didn't do that. He gave him a second chance to fulfill what God had told him to do. And as evil as Nineveh was, God didn't have to give them a chance to hear Noah talk. Jonah talk, excuse me. He didn't have to give them that chance. He could have just destroyed them. He said, well, I'm done with that. So I believe in the last verse of the book is why we find that God didn't. He created those people. He took time and nurtured that city. Like Jonah didn't have anything to do with the plant. God had everything to do with the creation of that city. And he wasn't willing to allow it to be destroyed without giving it another chance. He wasn't willing to do that. And I believe part of it is found in that last verse where it says there was 120,000 who could not discern their right from their left hand. Kids. You know, Braxton is just now starting to get to where he knows his left from his right. And he's six. So you can add a couple years, maybe subtract a couple years. So you're looking maybe age range of six to nine, maybe. Your old kids, there's 120,000 of them. Through his hate, Jonah was wanting God to destroy 120,000 kids. I can't think of anything that would make me want to do that. People attack our kids today and we we get mad and angry. But Jonah wanted God to destroy 120,000. That God himself had created. But yet, God took that man with that hateful kind of heart. And through that man, a whole city was saved. Those 120,000 kids were saved. The adults were saved. 
Because God used a man with a hateful heart. Now, if God could use a man with a hateful heart like that, what could he use people with good hearts for? Good-hearted people. People who want to do his will. People who want to help save others. What could God do with that kind of heart? Jonah didn't want to save those guys. Jonah did not want to save that race of people. He wanted them, he just wanted them to be wiped out. But God used him to save them. So what could he use with do with a person with a good heart? I tell you right now, the possibilities are endless. People with good hearts that God that let God use them for the will, the possibilities are endless. You might be amazed at some of the things God can do through you. But we got to get past our own ideas, our own thinks, our own prejudices sometimes. But if we have that good, pure heart in God and allow God to use us, amazing things can happen. You know, I believe this congregation is an example, excellent example of that. You know, when first when Mike first got here, there was it wasn't a good place to be. There were some things going on that people really didn't that wasn't good. But through the dedication of people with good hearts and good objectives and letting them use them for God's will, we have what we have today, which one of the most loving congregations I've ever been a part of. It works. But we have to have the right kind of heart. And we have to be willing to allow God to use us for His will. You know, Jonah wasn't a great guy. But I'm not a great guy either. I have my flaws. And the more I really started looking at it, I go, there's not a whole lot lot uncommon between me and Jonah. It's just his is written down for the whole world to see. And we can take these things and see them and know how to apply them to our lives. That we might have that good heart. That we might allow God to use us. But we have to be willing to do it. Jonah wasn't willing to do it at the beginning, but after God kind of didn't give him much choice, he did it. You know, as a teenager, I did that a lot. You know, my dad, there were some things he told me that I really didn't want to do. And I worked, did my best to avoid it, did my best not to do it. Through his punishment, it got done. Is that how God is with us? He feels like he always has to use the whip to get us to do what he wants us to do. We shouldn't be that way. We should be willing to do what God ever God wants us to do. Because he sent his only son for us. And whatever he wants us to do, hey, that's fine. Because I'm in the same boat as everybody else. We're all sinners. And we all deserve destruction. If we can help you this morning, won't you come and stand and sing?